A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no coal. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. And we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, a big win for the Alabama ACLU, but will it hold up? We have that conversation with Felicia Scalzetti from Hometown Action about the anti-assembly bill in Montgomery right now, and uh, more on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh if you want to be part of the program, normally we are pre-recording today. Uh, we are pre-recording today's show earlier in the week as Adam and I are down in Bessemer today uh, making house calls with RWDSU for the Amazon Union campaign. So you're not going to be able to call in live today, but if you would like to be part of the program next week, you can leave us a voicemail. We always check the voicemail, and we might play yours next week if you want to ask us a question. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. We are all over the place. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We are on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, all at The Valley Labor Report. And just a reminder, your support keeps us on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program or make a one-time donation, you can go to unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. Uh, That is unionly.io slash o slash tvlr or patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. If you're a member of a union, then you should get your local to sponsor the show. Uh, You can reach out to me for more details on that. So last year there was uh, what they called anti-riot legislation that went through the session, as this was the first opportunity for lawmakers in Alabama to address the police brutality protests of the summer of 2020, Working people all over the country from all sorts of different backgrounds, religious beliefs, and even political beliefs, while not unified on the specifics, all agreed there are issues with policing that need to be addressed. This was a common position across all sorts of working people that there was a problem with policing in America and 
they made their voices heard in the streets uh, in the summer of 2020, and more people protested in these protests than any other moment in American history. So, Alabama Republicans responded by attempting to give cops more power. We tracked this legislation, and you can find our coverage of the legislation from last year linked in the show notes, but basically Republicans and their propagandists would have you believe that the legislation only increased penalties for, you know, burning down a church or something like that, or murdering a cop's puppy. But that's not what it did. Listen to this. Uh, We've got a couple of clips from our conversation with Dev Wakely from Alabama Arise, a policy analyst with Alabama Arise. And he talks about what the bill does, what the bill did in the last session. And we'll talk to Felicia about what's different this year. Uh, But Adam, let's go ahead and play that clip uh, from last year. Clip one. Uh, What what does this bill do? This bill expands the definition of riots and what it really boils down to is this bill will criminalize protected first amendment activities uh if you if you go out and you protest and a police officer sees somebody do something um that he doesn't like basically he could arrest pretty much everybody involved this is this is a blank check for unconstitutional arrests um Worst case scenario with this with this bill, and this is this is no exaggeration. If somebody is at a protest where somebody else that they are not involved with in any way interferes with the operations of a police dog that is, say, chewing somebody's face off, then that person can be arrested for rioting. That's how much of an overreach this bill is. And what you what we heard today was bill proponents say, well, this bill is not intended to do that. But that doesn't really matter because that's what it does anyway. Yeah. I mean, the, the, that was a lot of the defense last year. The, a lot of the defense from the pro-bill people was that, oh, that's not what it's meant to do. It's not meant to enable bad cops. It's not meant to do, it's not meant, it's not meant, it's not meant. Well, uh, I don't care what thoughts are inside your head. I care about the words that are on this piece of paper that are going to become law in Alabama if you have your way. And that was the issue. And there was never any substantive defense against the accusations from people like Alabama Arise from the Alabama ACLU and other groups about this bill, about how damaging it would be uh, for people's First Amendment right to protest. There was never any substantive defense about what they said. The defense was, oh, well, it's not meant to do this. It's meant to do this instead, this good thing or this thing that might not be as bad. But they never addressed the substantive issues. Let's go ahead and play uh, clip two for how they expanded the definition of riot. The definition of riot is a tumultuous disturbance in a public place or penal institution by five or more persons assembled together and acting with a common intent, which create. And there's a lot more weasel language in here, too, uh, which creates uh, a grave danger. Again, 
subjective of substantial damage subjective to public private or other property i don't know what other property would be or serious subjective bodily injury to one or more persons or substantially subjective obstructs a law enforcement or other government function so every you notice that he pointed out every time oh this is a subjective word this is a subjective word this is a subjective word every time he did that Who is going to be deciding what it means? It's going to be the cops in the field who we just had a historic response from the American people, from working people all across the United States that the cops have too much power. And when I opened it by saying that the Alabama Republicans' response to working people in Alabama saying cops have too much power was to give them more power. This is exactly what I'm talking about, that this bill gave cops more power to decide when and where and how and how loud and for how long and how often people can protest. And that's and and, and none of those things are in the law. Those things are decisions that are going to be arbitrarily made by cops. And that's that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. And not only did it expand the definition of riot and give an insane amount of discretion to cops, and we know how well that works in Huntsville, right? It also established a mandatory holding time if you are arrested under this law for a uh, uh, <laughs> the mandatory holding time in the first round. This this bill was reintroduced later in the session last year, but the first iteration of it had a mandatory holding time of 48 hours. The charge could be dropped, as most cases were. Virtually every single case of protester, where a protester was arrested in 2020, virtually every single one of those cases was ultimately dropped because they were unlawful arrests. They were There, there, there was no substance behind the arrest of these people. And they still, even without this law, it disrupted people's lives because they were they, they were only held in prison for a couple of hours or for a few hours before they could post bail. And they still lost jobs. I talked Absolutely. to somebody just last week about somebody losing jobs. And, and think about the economic ramifications of a working class person having to be holed up for 48 hours without being able to tell their job, I'm not going to be able to make it in. Even if they could tell them that I'm not going to be able to make it in. How, how many people that work in precarious environments, is that going to fly for them for? Right. How many bosses are going to be very understanding? Right. Hey, sorry, I'm, I'm calling you from jail. Uh, you know, I was arrested at a protest. I won't be yeah. back for a couple of days. And this mandatory holding time is of uh, 48 hours is more than for many violent crimes. That shows that, that the purpose of this law was not to protect property, to, um, to, to uh, make protests more civil it was to discourage protests it was so that cops would have the arbitrary discretion to uh uh to jail people for whenever they felt like it and that's not acceptable and it also made defunding the police quote unquote something that people uh could be sued for and there was so much wrong with that it's bad on its face number one because people ought to be able to protest and yes even disturb private and government functions that's that's our right in America. But we can see how this law will be used against striking workers 
on picket lines as well. And we have enough laws, as we have seen in Brookwood, Alabama, we have enough laws that are used against striking workers in America today. And that's what I was going to say is, you know, not just the subjective decision making on the fly of police officers. But then when you are charged, now you're in the hands of a judge. Right. Who, you know, the Brookwood, Alabama picket lines is a great example. And we see we saw this in Colorado with strikers and uh, Kroger stores where these judges, mm-hmm. you know, they use their discretion to come down hard on striking workers and community allies who were there on a picket line. Yeah. Well, the law was defeated in the last session, but it's back. In fact, it was pre-filed before the session even began, and that's why Felicia is here today. Felicia Scalzetti is a digital organizer for Hometown Action. Felicia, thank you so much for talking to us today. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me on. So the first question uh, for this is just how much of this new bill how much of it uh, is the same as the bill that was filed in the last session? It's essentially identical. There are uh, a few changes, uh, like, for instance, the definition of riot um, is now what the definition was of the old bill towards the end. So as you kind of alluded to, there was a lot of pushback last year. And so the sponsor of the bill and and other people on like just various committees tried to add or remove language to make it less vague and blanketing uh, of a law and that still did not did not help so now when they put it forward that the current in this 2022 iteration of this bill the current definition of riot is the assemblage of five or more persons resulting in conduct which creates an immediate danger of damage to property or injury to persons the amount that is you could drive a semi you could drive a fleet of semis through the, the hole that that creates, you know, creates that's entirely subjective to officers there. So creating a danger to property, not that you've caused damage, because if you cause right. damage, that that's ends already up aggravated riot. Right. I mean, yes, I that's absolutely, absolutely already a crime. It also says or injury to persons, which I find really funny because I'm not a lawyer, but um, injury to which persons? Like if you have five people and there's a bar fight, you know, that's injury to persons. But I don't think we normally call that a riot. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of things under here, like, you know, assemblage of five or more persons where, where there's an immediate danger of, of property damage. That's 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 just tailgating. Mm-hmm. That's just tailgating. Right. That's a barbecue. That's, you know, and, and this bill goes on to define public places, including parks, um, open spaces between apartment buildings. Basically, anything that is not a private residence is considered public under this bill. So, you know, when we're talking about an assemblage of five people like that's that's a couple of teenagers on the corner. Right. You know, it's it's incredibly, incredibly broad. Right. Right. What about the holding time? Is that um, was that carried okay. over? Yeah, it's still there. It's 24 hours uh, now. Um, what is oh, how generous. Really, really... Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and here's the thing about holding times. Um, so I, I think y'all, y'all mentioned that, uh, you know, you had people who talked to you about losing their jobs after even being just held a few hours. Um, I was not held for just a few hours. Um, and that was without a you know minimum holding time. And that has been the experience of a lot of people I know. Um, and as you know, as far as I know, that that clock does not start until you're booked. And that that 
time that it takes to get booked i mean they slow walked us Mm -hmm. um i don't know how much i can say that without it being like technically like libel or whatever but they would slow walk us because you're not booked and in the system until you're fingerprinted and you have your mugshot taken well for a lot of us that'd be seven eight hours in you know and if that's when the clock starts you know i mean there's a lot there's there's so much gray area um in in what can happen um there was uh, a one time where we got arrested and they, they had us on a bus for two hours not going anywhere just in the bus you know so you're not even at the station yet so like there's there's just so much that i could see this going wrong with um normal activities criminalizing especially black people because this bill is explicitly racist um you used to union bust because if you just picked up a bunch of union supporters, or I don't know, the way that RWDSU was outside of the Amazon facility in Bessemer on public property, um, but how you could just arrest everybody, they'd be held for 24, what would likely turn into 30 plus hours. Um, and then you have to fight this this bill, you know, and then you're, you're trying to, um, then you're trying to pay people's fines, you're trying to coordinate court, co- like that's, that's a lot. Um, and people will not show up if they think that there's a possibility of them getting caught into some sort of criminal you know, net um, just by trying to exercise their their right to free speech. Yeah, well, let, let's talk some more about the, you know, we, we have, you know, detailed since the beginning of the strike, almost there were uh, in Brookwood, there were injunctions filed against the union, uh, limiting the number of people on the picket lines. At first, it was 11 or 12 then it was 10 then it was six then they were banned completely now they can have two people on a picket line at one time um you know so we've already got lots of laws on the books that are specifically designed to attack working people's right to uh picket and protest and things like this but but how how would you envision this being used against say uh you know the coal miners in Brookwood or uh, other unions who go on strike or picket, uh, do an informational picket in front of their workplace? Well, so this bill goes on to define a riot specifically. So, I mean, it it gives that definition that I gave before, but it also says a person commits a crime of riot if after receiving an order to disperse by a law enforcement officer or when in violation of curfew, the person intentionally participates in a riot. And I'm not being facetious like that's literally how they define it so i mean when you look at the the minors when you look at people striking or um, picketing outside of their workplace a lot of them probably were told to leave by cops and under this bill that would count as violating uh you know an order to disperse um and it doesn't say a lawful order to disperse by the way it just says order to disperse uh, um, yeah. And, yeah and we know that cops give lots nice of i mean just factually cops give lots of unlawful orders specifically unlawful orders yes, to disperse do. Yes, they do. So, um, I mean, I don't know that that word being in there makes this bill so much better. Mm-hmm. There's still so much in here that's that's incredibly harmful. But, you know, you, when you take this as a totality, right, you can deter people from ever showing up in the first place uh, under pain of, you know, just fear of losing their job, having a criminal record, having issues with this showing up on background checks. Um, we were told that even with these charges being dropped, we'd be eligible to pay for them to be expunged after a year. So that's a burden to prove that this never, you know, the charges would be dropped. They didn't, uh, you know, you, you weren't convicted of anything, um, but just the arrest record itself is right. punitive um, for for uh, jobs and, and that sort of thing. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that you know, you, in you itself. You have these mandatory holds. Uh, I was going to say that in itself, the arrest record, that that's such an important thing for folks who, you know, have never gone through that, who may not realize that, you know, it it's great news to hear that your charges have been dismissed, but it's not over at that point. Uh, it is still tied to you and your record. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, that's a whole nother process and a whole nother set of fines and fees and uh, dollars out of your pocket that you may not be able to afford. Mm-hmm. Yep. Expungement is not an automatic process. You have to go and, and talk to a judge and you likely need to retain a lawyer and you need to pay money. Right. And that's, that's fine not, if that's you know cheap. if you're in management and you're bringing down six seven figures a year, you can probably afford to get out of something like that. Right. But the average person in Alabama and across this country certainly is not making that kind of money. Certainly not in Alabama. Right. And like, let's talk about what happens if you do get convicted, um, because this bill doesn't just have mandatory minimums for holding times if you get arrested. It has mandatory minimums that are not subject to um, parole or good time if you are convicted. So if you are convicted of a misdemeanor under this bill, and most of these things are felonies, but you're, if you're convicted uh, under a misdemeanor, 30 days minimum sentencing. Mm. No parole, no good time, nothing. The judge will have absolutely no choice but to sentence you to at least 30 days. If you get arrested for and uh, you're charged and convicted of a felony, six months. Mm. Wow. Six months minimum. And again, no parole, no good time, nada. Um, and let's let's talk about some of the things that might get you a felony under this bill, such um, incredibly uh, harmful to the public health as um, committing the crime of unlawful traffic interference. Do you all know what unlawful traffic Jesus interference is? Tra- unlawful traffic interference under this bill is if you intentionally or recklessly impede vehicular traffic by walking, standing, sitting kneeling because they had to put kneeling in there lying down or placing an object in such a manner as to block passage of a vehicle on a public highway or interstate wow so if you put traffic cones out there that's unlawful traffic interference now the first time you get arrested for this it's a misdemeanor and again if you're convicted that's 30 days but the second time you get arrested that's a class c felony wow and this can i mean that blocking traffic and imagine if you're blocking access to your workplace because you're picketing exactly yeah that's the thing even if even if it's a picket where you're allowing people through so there were three or maybe three or four times over the course of this strike that um the umwa has the uh over the course of the of the strike in brookwood three or four times the umwa has purposely impeded traffic they have purposely said we will not let scabs cross this picket line today it's not going to happen, um, and people were arrested for it. They were, you know, they uh, they spent like a night in jail or something. Um, but this law, if I'm understanding right, would have them first uh, be sentenced to a minimum of thirty days in jail if they were convicted of it. Yeah, that's insane. And I mean, on its face, they they would be guilty of that crime, right? Right. That's insane, and, and this that's, whole bill that's just not. That is just not, if you value the, I I mean, people in a democracy should be able to say, like, that should be one of the weapons that we have in our arsenal to delay traffic, 
to uh, uh, disrupt the public order. This has to be something that people can do. Uh, and that's something that people in the labor movement have done uh, to great success, to higher wages, better working conditions, better benefits uh, since the labor movement began is these disruptive protests. Yeah. I, and I was going to add, you know, I may be jumping ahead of us, but civil disobedience is the history of progressive change in this country. And, and by progressive change, I don't mean necessarily uh, any p- political persuasion, just bare minimum progress. Right. Ending slavery, uh, ending Jim Crow. These were done by social movements. All change in this country has come from the bottom up, from people organizing, protesting, utilizing civil disobedience. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jacob, about what they meant. Oh, we didn't mean this or we we did mean this in the bill. You know, for me, looking at this as a resident of Alabama, the only thing I can infer is that they mean to completely discourage civil disobedience uh, and protest and free assembly. And for those who are, you know, brave enough, I suppose, to try it anyway, to punish and really ruin people's lives. Right. For the having the audacity to stand up for themselves and, and exercise their rights under the First Amendment of the Constitution, which you know, these same folks love the Constitution. Hmm. Now, they love to talk about the Constitution. They love to talk about uh, American values and our, our rights and our freedoms. You know, after all, that's why folks hate us, I'm supposed to believe. You know, I, I, I was growing up, I was told that all these folks halfway around the world uh, hate us because we're so free. Right. So, you know, that's my interpretation as a resident of Alabama who has engaged in protest activity. Uh, I'm getting the message loud and clear from the Alabama legislature that we should cease and desist, that we should sit down and shut up uh, and stay home. Well, keep shopping. Now, we can keep shopping, but, right. but do not engage in any sort of protest against your government. And mind you, these are the same people who uh, are supposed to not like government and want to shrink government. Uh, but damn it, you better not say anything about it uh, or actually try to do that. And, and that's the interesting thing is I remember Tea Party protests. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, most of those were astroturfed by uh, the Koch brothers and other right wing billionaires and their front groups. But. You know, there's indisputable evidence that there were gatherings of conservative and right-leaning, right-wing kind of people in what would be a protest. So uh, that'll be the other interesting thing to see uh, if this bill goes through the subjectivity and how it's enforced. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I'm very uh, curious to see how different the response might be to say, an anti-vaccine, anti-mask type of protest at a school board versus a Black Lives Matter protest or a picket line uh, in front of a workplace. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's really interesting that you you mentioned that if you you know that they want you to stay home because actually under this bill you can get arrested for that too, um, and this is this is another insidious piece. I know, right? It just I told you it just gets better and better. So there's there's uh, they go on to talk about inciting a riot, right? That that's a, that's a oh, charge no. in here that they beef up. Oh no no no! It's so much worse than you think. Here's the definition, right? Um, inciting to riot if he or she commands, solicits, incites funds, urges, or otherwise aids and abets another person to engage in a riot or aggravated riot. Let's break that down for a second. Did you catch that bit funds? Mm. Like, I don't know, maybe mutual aid funds or mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe how like the miners have been like collecting money from people to, to pay, you know, I mean, not to pay, but like literally to sustain their children and their lives and their mortgages and their grocery bills and how now if you determine that the miners rioted at some point maybe everybody who i don't know put money in into paypal or cash app or whatever you just funded a riot wow we're really concerned about that with it i think they want to shut down bail funds really is i think what the intention there is but again this is so broad that, that it's anything. The other thing that this means is, you know, when we were, were we were out there and I see this happening at picket lines too, people will drive up and drop off water mm-hmm. and basic supplies. You are aiding and abetting. Mm. You are funding in the sense of like, you know, you're giving in-kind donation. Like it's, it's incredibly right. insidious. Um, and I just want to hit one, one point. I, I know usually hear people talk about this when they talk about this bill, um, as in like where it originally comes from, because it's, it is true that this was first introduced after the uprisings in 2020, that this bill in particular in Alabama is actually written by, supposedly written by, we're going to get to that in a second, but it has been put forward by Representative Turtleway, who represents part of um, you know Jefferson County and was the, I believe, deputy chief of police of the Birmingham Police Department at the time that he wrote this bill. Um, or presented this bill. But the thing is, is this bill and this language is not new. Um, At the time that this bill was presented last year, there was, I think, 74, 75 anti-protest bills in 33 states. And you don't get that Mm -hmm. kind of proliferation unless you guys are copying something. And it turns out the thing that they're copying is this bill from 2017. Um, It's called a critical infrastructure bill, which, like all really insidious bills, uses a ridiculous name to distract from the actual intent. So what that bill is supposed to do and why it was created to begin with was to target indigenous indigenous people Mm. in um, South Dakota after the uh, water protectors and Standing Rock protests. That's when we started to see these types of bills. So what the critical infrastructure bill is, and by the way, we also have a critical infrastructure bill in uh, making its way through in Alabama right now. We've had one almost every year for years now that is not passed, um, but is, is also part of, you know, current pending legislation. Um, And it says like anything within X miles or X yards of, um, I don't know, oil refinery Mm. or a pipeline or I don't know, maybe a A coal coal plant. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, it's critical infrastructure and it it carries with it increased penalties and fines. Like it bumps everything up to felonies. Um, And we're talking 10 years, like the original 2017 like the the South Dakota one was a 10 year imprisonment if you in any way tampered with and tampered with was was considered like if you blocked access to um, pipelines or things of that nature, you know, so they just upped the ante and this bill 
takes language from that, just sort of takes takes pieces from these bills. Mm. It's like watching a virus replicate. Mm. You see it pop up originally in one place, and then you get all of these variants. You know, we've been incredibly fortunate that in Alabama, we haven't seen the running protesters over variant um, yet. But like this has, Don't you know, this is directly us. There's still related. A lot of time left in the session. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I mean, it's, I think it's, I always struggle between like scaring people versus like, hey, this is like, you, yeah, right, need, to, right. you need to be looking for this. Um, you know, this is this is an issue. Um, something else in here, too, if you really want to bankrupt people, if you really want to drive a union out of business, um, if you're convicted of any of these, um, anything, I'm talking like blocking traffic, anything, you also have to pay any medical bills. You have to pay any amount of damage that you, you cause to the area, um, anything. And that's all, of course, incredibly subjective because who determines that, mm-hmm. right? So like it's a cash cow. And uh, differences from last year is that we have this new context of these three new prisons. Right. You know, we have these three new mega prisons being built. And if they want to make money off of them, they need to fill them up. And this is a really easy way to pack them full of short term people who are going to be paying a lot of fees, fines, restitution and whatever. And if you get the added bonus of, I don't know, uh, breaking the back of, of a union in the process. Well, that's just the cherry mm-hmm. on top, isn't it? Right. Right. Well, so. The I mean, this is this is all insane, but we've we've seen a lot of this before. You mentioned that it's almost identical to last year uh, and it didn't pass last year. What how 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 did it happen that it did not pass last year? What what stopped it last year? It came down to the wire, but I really think that the primary thing that stopped it was um, black women organizers just really put themselves out there. We drove down to Montgomery. I am for those listening on the radio. I am. I'm not black. I'm. A, I'm a white woman. Um, but uh, we drove down to Montgomery. Anytime that this bill was in committee, anytime uh, you know that it was being heard in any capacity, um, we really kicked and dug in our heels. We called for a public hearing. Um, and last year, uh, entrance to the state house was limited. Like we literally could not go inside and talk to legislators. Hmm. If you've tried to contact your legislators before, you might know that a lot of their emails bounce and their voicemails are full. Mm-hmm. So if you don't actually have access to them, that's, it's really hard oh, to like, and, let and them just, know like, Hey, a lot of people are upset about this by the way. Right. Yeah. Well, just, just really quick. I want to, you, you know, these are all the same people that you can't reach because access to the state house is limited uh these are the same people that are telling us that it's uh that teachers are horrible and lazy and they got a year of pay or two years of paid vacation uh because of remote learning and they're going off on madison county and huntsville city educators for remote learning this week uh (laughs) because they literally don't have enough staff to staff the schools and you know so that's just super weird that they're not at their workplace while they're chiding us to get back to work. I just, that's odd to me. That's odd, but that's a different subject. Well, they were in there. They just didn't want anybody else in there, um, which is just, you know, it's it's also it was also very funny, right, because they were talking about health concerns and then not wearing mm. masks. Yeah. So like who whose concern actually. Um, and, and that was a that was a really big uh, decision for people, too, was that like, you know, when we look at 
health disparities and and, and outcome disparities from COVID. Like mm-hmm. Black Alabamians are disproportionately hit and right. and disproportionately are are dying for this. So when you're talking about do we actually go in there mm-hmm. to have a public hearing, like that is a health concern too. Right. So like that's how bad you know this is. That's how how deeply we care about this. Um, is is that you know we're willing to put our health at risk with when reasonable precautions and wearing mm-hmm. masks and trying to you know be as safe as possible. But like that's that's how important this is. So uh, during that public hearing, you know, well they they can't really be reached right in in person. Maybe um, they got berated quite a bit by by even their own colleagues. Um, so you know most of our Democratic elected officials um, are black. Um, Treadway was told to his face by a a colleague of his on the same committee that that he was acting like Bull Connor with this bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that wasn't enough to stop that same committee from passing it at the end of that meeting. Um, I remember going to um, a, a committee hearing, um, waiting for it to pass out of um, the Senate, I think, um, or on the House floor. And within it, it was just an hour. And within that hour, they had passed like an anti-abortion bill, anti-trans bill, um, not passed like as an into law, but just out of this, you know, right. Yeah. Um, Had passed anti-trans, anti-abortion, the anti-protest bill. And there was something else too. And I remember just looking around and looking at everybody, you know, all of us who have uh, multiple identities um, when, during the uprisings, um, trans people and, um, and, and and gay and just LGBT and marginalized and queer people were very much disproportionately the ones arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, women were disproportionately the ones arrested. Um, we like like literally 20 women to every one guy getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just you see this piling on right you know you wouldn't think that the the protest bill and the the trans ban and the abortion bill and all these things that we're all sort of fighting in these different corners they're all connected because they're just all part of let's put the same people down let's put the same people who historically make the least amount of money have the least protections um need (laughs) unions need these protections the most are are the most likely to be uh horribly affected by having an arrest record or by having you know missing work or anything let's make sure that we keep them down still because if they ever figure out that we're after all of them right you know, we might not have enough people to put that down. So what are its chances, this bill, what are its chances of passing this time? I don't want to, like, speak anything into existence. I, I waffle between, like, oh, God, um, it's going to it's gonna get through this time, and maybe we have a fighting chance. So, mm-hmm. so just in, in context, things that are different this year. We do actually have those prisons. They're they're built. They're a real thing now. It's not just a uh, you know. Some people accused us last year of of being overly dramatic about that. Well, they're here now, and they are being built with COVID money. So if you really want to talk about legislators' priorities when it comes right. to taking care of Alabamians, well, there there it is, right there, right. Um, other things that are different this year, um, the uh, you know, Amazon had a huge national following. And I think it's incredibly important that that RWDSU gets gets ahead of this and is messaging like, hey, this is this is going to come after us. Like you you are you are coming after us. UMWA, that's different than last year too. Um, and having these minors uh, talking about like, hey, you know what, y'all, uh, we think that this is something criminalizing specifically Black Alabamians, but guess what? They're using it against us too. So hmm, that's interesting. Uh, maybe this is a little broader than we think. So that's 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 kind of in the plus side. Uh, all the other things on the plus side, and by plus I mean chances to get it defeated, right? Um, is that legislators are probably pretty sick 
of being in session. They've had to be in multiple se uh, special sessions. They had the present special session. They had a redistricting special session. Um, they started the regular session early this year in January instead of like in March, like they normally do. Um, so they, they really haven't really gotten any breaks. And now they're in another special session mm -hmm. and then they're going to have to come back to regular session. The biggest thing, and this could either be a plus or minus, the biggest unknown factor here is that these legislators are running for re-election. Right. 2022 is an election year. Every single person is up for re-election, essentially, basically statewide in Alabama. So on one hand, they want to pass things that they can message to people at home and say, look at all these right. great things that I've accomplished. And so you see this proliferation of, you know, gross bills. I don't have a, a nicer way to put it, you know, just gross bills that are just not not what we need in Alabama. On the other hand, uh, they likely want the time to go home and, you know, campaign right. for re-election. Normally, you'd think that that's not a huge concern, but we did just redistrict. So technically, you know, some some people's lives are changed. They need to canvas new neighborhoods. They got to talk to different people. So Getting I new bribes, feel like I they're going to want yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And donations. So they actually I think today or tomorrow is the day that they can start getting donations again, because when when a session starts, um, in a, in an election year, they actually can't fundraise for like the first three weeks or four weeks. And now they're also in this special session on ARPA money. So that like, right. Like there's all of these, you know, I think it's, it's very funny as somebody who grew up watching like the newsies and like other, you know, stories about like toppling these big things. It, it comes down to like such subtle things in reality. Like what is the schedule and do people want to go home early right. on Friday? And like, mm -hmm. that's the real, um, so last year, you know, um, the bill, almost passed it was on the special um you know it made it basically all the way to like the last stop essentially i'm, I'm getting i'm getting passed um and it just stalled out for time the gambling bill ate up a lot of time um and i remember staying up till midnight on because on the last day of the session they literally went until midnight trying to get the gambling bill through the trans bill the anti-trans bill was on the docket as well and we basically ran out the clock you know, that when we say defeated, you know, that's really what it is. It's it's running out the clock. Um, so when we're looking at running out the clock this year, you know, those are sort of the things that are weighing on this. Um, so far, unlike last year, this bill so far does not have any co-sponsors, which is interesting. Now, it did originally get introduced without co-sponsors last year, but a few weeks in, it, it had like 20. Right. Um, it was part of the... Um, GOP agenda, the Alabama GOP agenda for like bills that they want to pass this year. So by no means can you count it out. Um, and and bills can get, you know, co-sponsors and just not be uploaded right now because we're in like a special session. So I don't want to, I don't want to rest on laurels. I don't want to count this thing out. I want to hit it hard. I want to hit it fast. Our leverage points when it comes to defeating legislation is early. You know, you can only have a public hearing if it's in a committee. You can't, you know, by the time it gets to a floor vote, people will likely just fall along party lines and then that's that. So right. you're, you're the best way to, to, to get this done and out is to, to really give them an out. Don't vote against this bill. Just don't bring it up. Still right. walk it. You don't have to you don't have to tell your constituents I voted against the you know aggravated riot act. You just don't bring it up at all. Just don't even don't even open that can of worms. Don't even touch it, you know, and, and the best way to convince them to do that is to make it very clear that this isn't a winning issue for you. This isn't a winning issue for you across multiple demographics. This yep. is not what you want to be running on. This is not your bread and butter politics. Yep. 
Felicia, thank you so much for talking to us about this. This is a very important issue that is going to affect a lot of working people, um, our rights to protest uh, our government and our workplace. And uh, so that that's very important. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And if you want to find out what's been going on with Hometown Action and get updates on this legislation, um, please follow us. Um, our link tree with all of our uh, social media links is HMTN, like Hometown, HMTN. So it's link tree slash HMTN. You can find us on Facebook at Hometown Action, Instagram, same handle, Twitter, same handle, Hometown Action. So thank you all so much for having me again. It's been amazing. And uh, thank you so much for bringing light to this important issue. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. We'll put those links in the show notes. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the, this is such a incredibly important issue uh, we've got to got to got to got to defeat this bill we're going to go to a break really quick before we go on to our next topics about uh, a new organizing tactic from my union the american federation of government employees and a big win for the alabama aclu stay tuned you're listening to the valley labor report and we will be right back Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is, and to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state, and they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org.
Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at ibew136.org. Come all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We just wrapped up a conversation with Felicia Scalzetti with Hometown Action about the anti-protest bill that is going through the Alabama legislature right now. If you missed that, you can find all of our past broadcasts on our YouTube channel. Um, We are going to talk now about... um, a really, really cool interview with the National Director of Organizing of the American Federation of Government Employees. Uh, David Can is his name, Brother David Can. He did an interview with uh, Ed Flash Ferentz of the America's Workforce Radio podcast. Um, if you like this show, you would like that show. I highly Highly recommend it. Um, it is it's a great source of knowledge about what is happening all across the country in the labor movement. It is a daily union talk radio show, um, Monday through Friday. He's got an hour of content every single day. Interviewing, he does two interviews, two guests a day from different locals across the country. I mean, it's really really great. The breadth of people that he talks to. Um, the diversity of experience, the diversity of topics, and it's just, it's really, really cool. I mean, you hear all the way from, like, rank-and-file workers to uh, sitting U.S. senators to international union presidents, like, in the same week. I mean, it's it's just, it's awesome. You should listen to it. Um, and my national director of organizing, David Can, AFGE, spoke to him about a few things, but also about the renewed effort of AFGE to organize and especially to take advantage of the opportunity that we have with the Biden administration not uh, trying to destroy us. <laughs> so <laughs> the Trump the Trump administration uh, was not friendly to federal employees, to the people who take care of our nation's veterans in the VA, to the people who administer Social Security for our elderly and Social Security disability for the people who are not able to work, for uh, uh, people who administer important government functions like the Corps of Engineers. All He was not friendly to federal employees. He did many things to hamper our ability to advocate for ourselves and uh, and and to not improve our working conditions. And so the Biden administration is uh, not trying to destroy us. And so we want to, as a union, take advantage of that. And the way that he talks about uh, taking advantage of this opportunity that we have while we're in a uh, less unfriendly environment is... Very heartening to hear coming from the very top of my union, and um, I think that this is the uh, this is the strategy that all unions should be taking. Uh, what he talks about, and 
he's a he's a relatively new hire, and I wouldn't doubt that he is somebody. I don't. If it, this is this is just my speculation, but I wouldn't doubt that this is somebody that uh, Reverend Everett Kelly uh, specifically wanted on board uh, because of his philosophy of organizing. Because uh, Reverend Everett Kelly has been extremely successful in organizing everywhere he has been. Uh, in leadership, when he was the president of the Anniston Army Depot, uh, the the union there, their union membership increased over the course of like five years, more than double, from 1,200 to 2,600 members. Uh, and the same thing for District 5, which is the Southern District of the United States. We added like 20,000 members across the Southeast while he was the representative for District 5. I mean, he's a... he's a uh, great leader. I appreciate his work. And um, let's listen to David Can, National Director of Organizing for the American Federation of Government Employees, talk about how our union is going to approach bringing in new members. We're changing the model of organizing we're doing and changing the model of union that we are and as a result of that. Um, a, lot, a lot of conversations that union folks, good good unions, uh, our union oftentimes have had with people in the past is, you know, you can't afford not to have a labor union. You wouldn't not have health insurance. You don't know if you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't not have car insurance. It's against law, and you don't know if you're going to have an accident. You would not have job insurance. You, you never know when you're going to need the ability to be represented. Um, and, and that was not always, but oftentimes the pitch we made. And what we've discovered, or what the, at, at the Federation, the change we're making is that that message doesn't do what we need it to do for the type of growth and the type of power building we want to be doing. We need to be doing. Um, because it makes folks think that the union isn't them. It makes them think that the union is uh, a, a union officer or a staffer or some other person that will... will, will make change for them. And while there, we do have great officers and we've got great staff, I'm, I'm pleased to say I'm, I count myself amongst their number. Um, the, the thing that makes real power is having people be involved in their job, having a voice on the job, being engaged. And so the, 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 the message we have and the, the type of organizing we do is changed. Um, you know, it's not just inviting people to join and letting them know that they've got, got, uh, got fighters in their corner. It's, getting people involved based around the things that they care about and making sure that from the moment they sign, from the moment they consider signing, they know that there is a role for them to be involved for building power, whether that's signing petitions, whether that's going to rallies, whether that's finding a place in doing some representational or organizing or communication work themselves in their local and building ground up based on, based on the issues and the concerns that every single member and potential member has. And it's been it's been absolutely transformational. So that was our national director of the American Federation of Government Employees, the national director of organizing, David Can, on with Ed Flash Ference of America's Workforce Radio podcast, talking about the new uh, uh, model and philosophy of organization within AFGE. And it it, it was very very heartening to hear because yes. there are a lot of people who conceive of their union in this way and there are a lot of people who foster that conception of a union as of a union as a service of a union that is separate from the membership mm-hmm. 
of a union that is uh, uh, that that's like health insurance or like life insurance yeah. or car insurance or uh, you know as opposed to an organization of by and for working people to advocate for working people um, working people standing up for each other to make their life better the, um, you know that that's a totally a totally different thing when you when 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 you center the model of organization on our power comes from the members because in every union whether they understand it or not or whether this is the type of thing that that they want to engender in their membership their power comes from the membership whether they whether they acknowledge that or or foster that conception right. or not that is where their power comes from and and when you look at at uh, unions who have been able to be somewhat successful in their in a in a service model it's basically they're running on the fumes of previous membership involvement absolutely and where those fumes have run dry it has taken member involvement to uh uh to renew those gains to start winning again we can look i mean ex- this is exactly what has happened uh at john deere with the united auto workers the united auto workers has unfortunately in a lot of cases turns turned towards a model of service unionism of of unionism that sees the officers and the people that are filing the grievances and all this as separate from the workers. And what have we seen over the course of this model that has been paired with the management cooperation model of the UAW? We have seen a a concessionary contract after concessionary contract after concessionary contract with the big three automakers and other UAW employers. And now... For the first time in the manufacturing sector in the United States in 40 years, we're seeing contracts where working people are making gains again. How did that happen? It happened because the membership got involved. The membership struck. The membership voted down. They didn't passively accept a tentative agreement that was handed to them by, uh, uh, by the boss. They said, no, we're not going to accept this. And they struck. And the union supported them, the, the, you know. But they struck. They made the decision to strike. And they voted down not one, but two contracts at John Deere. Kellogg's did the same thing with the BCTGM. They voted down not one, but two contracts to try to get the best deal that they thought that they could get. It was membership involvement that has finally allowed people to begin to see gains again. And that's what it's going to take for every union, and, and that's what it's going to take for AFGE to be able to make take advantage of this opportunity that we have, of this uh, less unfriendly playing field, so that we are prepared in 2024 when, uh, when and if, you know, knock on wood, we have another anti-worker president another extremely anti-worker president extremely specifically anti-federal worker president um so uh uh so i loved hearing that i really did too i I mean i i so so relate to this discussion about types of unionism and and the models involved um 
And we've touched on it a little bit in the show. There are, of course, different types of unions and different ways of setting and setting up a union and operating a union. Uh, and you have uh, trade unions who sort of function almost like hiring halls to some extent, uh, which operate quite differently from public sector unions. Uh, there's differences in terms of who all is in your union. Uh, is it wall to wall? Does it cover the entire workplace? Or is it broken down by craft? Um, there's really a conception of unions that has been, uh, I would say, the, the majority uh, of unions in the past several decades of you know a, a service model where it, oftentimes the union themselves and, and certainly the union leadership – third party themselves. Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about this. Uh, uh, You and David did such a great job diving into the Amazon campaign and Bessemer and some of the anti-union talking points. Uh, And time and time again, anytime we're looking at union busting, one of the first things that the boss does is, is try to instill in the workforce that the union is an outside third party. Right. And Unfortunately, we have unions and union leaders um, who go with that. They mm-hmm. accept that logic from the boss and run with it. Right. Um, and I think if you talk to a rank-and-file union member, ask them about their union, and do they say us or them? Mm-hmm. That's going to be the tell. Right. Uh, and I think David Can did a great job there in, in talking about the way uh, unions have often pitched themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, and I mean, it's not, it's not like necessarily an untrue – and that's what makes it so enticing is that right. it's, it's, an, it's an easy sell to make someone to, to – it, it's an easy sell to say, oh, yeah, if you give me – if I give you thirteen or you know thirty dollars, forty dollars a month, thirteen dollars every paycheck, then um, you know I'll be protected. Well, sure, you know whatever. It's right. just like a Hulu subscription, but um, but that's not you know if you just have a thousand people with Hulu subscriptions, that's not a base of power. That's not going to be uh, uh, that's not going to be threatening to your boss. And ultimately, that's what a union has to be is threatening to your boss. If you have a thousand Hulu subscribers, that doesn't matter. Any that doesn't matter at all. You yeah. have to have power people that are willing to uh, that, that that conceive of themselves as part of a union, as people who are in communion with their sisters and brothers on the job for the purpose of making their job better. That it's us, not a them. It's an us, and um, I, I want to be very clear here and just expand on what you said that. It's not that service is not important. Uh, people join their unions for multiple, you know, all kinds of reasons. And of course, one of the most immediate ones is for the protection it provides. And, you know, if you get in trouble, you have someone who you can call, you can call and have some help. That is critical. That is important. And anybody who has the opportunity to get that protection needs to get that protection. So it's not to discount that. Um, the services are very important and the quality of representation and defense that you get and the quality of the lawyers that you're provided. All of those things are, are very, very important. But you can't stop there. Right. 
And I think that's what you're touching on is that because it's kind of the low-hanging fruit, um, it's the most uh, – I mean, it's the least controversial, right? Right, Because doctors and lawyers, they have liability insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when you start to get down that road of selling yourself as an insurance policy, you start to act like an insurance agency, not a union, right. not – grounded in a labor movement right uh, and, and you know as you can imagine this clip resonated with me quite a bit having worked for uh an organization that won't even call themselves a union mm-hmm. even though they're an affiliate of the largest teachers union in the country uh one of the largest unions in the world they won't even accept the label of union uh I, I, they flat out themselves reject that and reject being part of the labor movement uh, you know, in, in their eyes, that's the politically expedient thing to do to, to maintain their membership in, in conservative areas. You know, that's a separate conversation there. But that's that's the disturbing thing is, is how many folks have worked them way, worked their way to leadership in, in unions and, mm-hmm. quote unquote, professional organizations that should be unions. Right. Um, and you hold that kind of philosophy and it is part of the recruiting it's part of the um you know internal organizing such as it is uh and unfortunately in some of these cases you know when if there's any internal organizing going on it's just making sure that your members know about the discounts they can get Mm -hmm. Uh, it's making sure the members know well hey if you're you know if you have a workplace injury you should call this number and we'll get you plugged into our attorney that's not the same as internal organizing and right. real education. And that's one of the most important roles that unions have is as an educator by giving people uh, the connections and relationships to learn from one another, uh, giving people the resources they have to expand their knowledge uh, and helping to educate members on where their issues in the workplace connect to other workplaces and to the broader community and society and political economy. We have seen, you know, as the labor movement has declined over the decades, that piece uh, has really declined as well. Uh, But as you mentioned, there's been a trend away from that business unionism, service model unionism uh, that is kind of focused on pitching an individual service uh, and collaborating with the boss, there's been a very inspiring trend of broader organizing model uh, and even social movement type unionism. And and that's what we've seen uh, in Chicago with the teachers union there and the caucus of rank and file educators. uh, And and as you mentioned with John Deere and, and many of the strikes we've seen over the past year, we've seen workers take it really in their own hands right. and not simply just fall in line with what uh, the union leadership has said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, again, I don't want to play into some of the right wing tropes about, quote unquote, union bosses. Right. Um, we've talked on this show before that, you know, every union has its own varying degrees of, of democracy and uh, varying degrees of leadership models and varying qualities of leaders, frankly. Um <laughs> As does any organization. As right? does any or, any or organization, and I think uh, any of the trends that you see in any organization, you can see in in 
labor organizations where mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have a constant renewal of people coming in to, to step into leadership, to step into new roles, um, you start to see atrophy. And, and that's what you're, you're discussing there where – in some cases, you know, the best victories and the greatest gains are things that happened before your members were even born. Right. And, and that's hard to that's hard to organize people around when they don't even remember uh, the last big win um, yeah. where, you know, people at John Deere, uh, you know, they now have, you know, uh, um, uh, a few months ago, I remember winning. A twenty percent raise over over the next five years, a ten percent raise immediately, and an eighty five hundred dollars signing bonus. That's that's what I remember personally, me and my life. You know, that's a big deal as opposed to you know uh, hearing about something that happened thirty years ago and uh, the collective, that, that you still benefit from. It, it, the collective action part of right. it is so so important. Right, uh, it's it's different even if even if you do get a win, but it's. Something that like your lobby team down at the state capitol pulled off, or your lobby team team in D.C. pulled it off. You know that's great. (laughs) And and in that case, you know it it would be easy for the lobby team to say, "Oh, look what we did," as opposed to look what the power y'all gave us to work with did. Right. You know, like there there would be even different ways to frame a lobbying victory that can feed into a, a model of service unionism or a model of, of like David Can was talking about, a model of unionism that puts the member first, that says the, me- the our membership is where our power is and things like this. Absolutely. Um, and so that brings us to our, our next topic. We all know that the uh, Amazon re-elect, uh, the, 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 the new election at Amazon and Bessemer for whether or not they want to join the retail, wholesale, and department store union. Uh, that is underway. The National Labor Relations Board, um, I mean, on a dime, like really kind of out of the blue, said, okay, in three weeks we're going to mail ballots out. That was not, um, that wasn't really what the union was expecting i don't think um and that's that's really unfortunate that there was such a quick turnaround there there was there was uh uh, some hope that there would be more time but uh but it is what it is and the ballots will be mailed out when you hear this uh uh on february the 4th i believe that's on a tuesday or I can't remember. Early in February. A day that ends in Y, yeah. I'm pretty er- sure. Early in February, ballots are going to be mailed out, and they'll be counted late in March, um, basically exactly a year after uh, the last election. And so the North Alabama Area Labor Council has, uh, we passed a resolution in December to, beginning in 2022, once a month, uh, to send people down that are members of of affiliate unions in the area to send people down to make house calls with the retail wholesale and department store union and so that's what we're doing today um we recorded this episode earlier in the week and i am down right now in bessemer talking to workers about how to make their lives better and talking to them about um about how uh the union is not some scary third party that is going to take your money and tell you to strike and tell you to, to forego a paycheck uh, that is going to tell you what to do and things like that. Because that's not the reality. This is something that Amazon uh, said 
in the last go round and something that David and I talked about. Um, but the union and and I know from talking to the organizers with RWDSU that they have the same philosophy on this as David Can does. I spoke to Adam Obernauer, uh last time I was down in Bessemer, and there were some Amazon workers around us and i was talking to adam he's the lead organizer on this campaign and some of the organizer or or some of the workers at amazon asked him a question about like a strategy question like okay we're having this problem should we do this like what should we do this or, or should we do this or is this whatever whatever and adam was like well um ultimately it's your decision because it's your union and you i loved hearing that and it makes me it makes it easy for me to support this campaign knowing that there are people like adam down there impressing on these people that uh we are uh you know you are where to the extent after we win the election to the extent that we have power you are where that power will come from you are the people that will be bargaining your contracts you know if if and when, Lord willing, if and when workers at Amazon and Bessemer win their election and the retail, wholesale, and department store union becomes their bargaining agent, how's that contract going to be bargained? That contract is going to be bargained by a negotiating committee that is elected from the rank and file, by the rank and file. They will be able to help write the contract that they work under in Bessemer, Alabama. They will be able to decide uh, what, how, how they want things structured. How, what, what are the important issues to them? And the things that they like about the job, maybe there, maybe there are some things that they like about the job. You know, Now they, they can, can fight to keep it. They can fight to writing. keep it. Put it in writing so that it's not at the whim of Bezos. And so we're, we're down there talking to them about this, trying to dissuade them of the anti-union propaganda that they have heard from Amazon and tell them that, no, this is just a formalization of saying that you are the people that do the work, so you are the people you should have a say over how and when and where and for how much the work is done. RWDSU is not going to be coming in and dictating this or that or whatever. It's a voluntary organization that uh, that you will be a part of and that you will create and that you will be where the power comes from. And and I know that that's the philosophy that Adam and them down there have. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be able to spend the day with them. And, uh, and, and it's going to be fun. We've got people from, uh, already, uh, this is, I'm speaking on Tuesday, sent out the notice on Sunday and already we have machinists, we have letter carriers, we have federal employees and, uh, uh, and I believe that we have iron workers already going down and all of these people. Letter carriers, I guess you could say, have an interest in Amazon in, in organizing Amazon because uh, you know there's a s- certain amount of competition there. But like iron workers, they they built the facility down there in Bessemer, and they're and they're building the facility here in Huntsville. The Union Iron Workers are. That's you know whether or not their union it as far as how iron workers are paid is not really material. It's not material to me whether or not, I'm not getting a paycheck. 
for uh, for going down there and talking to them, and I'm not going to get a paycheck if they win or if they lose. I'm doing this because, and these people are doing this, these iron workers, these letter carriers, these machinists are doing it because we have seen the value that a union can provide working people, and we... As Alabamians, all of us, I think, everybody that has that has said that they're going to come, I believe that everybody was born and raised in Alabama that's going to be going down there. We as Alabamians, as working people, see the value that it brings, and we love our people, and we want our people to be better, and, and, and to do better, and to have better. And we want our people to uh, uh, be able to keep more of the value that they create, as opposed to... The value that we create here in Alabama being extracted from our people and given to elites in New York and California. We want the value that we create to stay in our communities instead of being extracted and given to billionaires across the country and across the world and on pedophile islands. And I don't think that's unreasonable, and I don't think that's un-Alabamian, and I don't even, frankly, think that it's a crazy, uh, left-wing, insane thing to want, to say that, oh, the work that's done in Alabama, Alabamians ought to benefit from it. And the same thing with the uh, with the coal miners' strike. I'm not going to benefit, I don't get a paycheck whether they win the strike or not, but this coal is Alabama coal. I reckon, I reckon Alabamians ought to benefit from it. Not New York hedge fund managers. That's not insane. But that's not something that you hear on the radio very often. It's not something that you hear from our politicians, from the people that are supposed to be protecting Alabamians. They're not standing up for Alabamians. They're standing up for the people in New York that are taking our natural resources and that are taking the value that we create and throwing it in a bank account so that they can see the line go up. So that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. I wasn't even going to jump in there. You were on such a roll. Um, the uh, uh, But I, I want to say a sincere thank you to the North Alabama Labor Council uh, and to you and your leadership on that and, and to all of the people who are volunteering their time, their gas, their, you know, their energy – their weekend. Their weekend. All day um, on Saturday. Once a month. All day on Saturday, once a month until the election is over was the resolution that the North Alabama Labor Council passed in December. So I, I think that's just a fantastic display of solidarity, and, and I really hope that it makes a difference. And I hope that um, some great conversations come out of it, conversations that, that turn into relationships and uh, conversations that can resonate with people well beyond this this particular election in particular uh, workplace even yeah absolutely absolutely i mean we've seen what happened with starbucks uh it started with three election filings in buffalo new york and now spread like wildfire. there are more than 30 i think more than 30 500 some odd workers involved in union elections at starbucks it's fantastic it's it's really really great uh very exciting so um You've been listening to the Valley Labor Report. We are going to go to a break, and we will have one more segment for you, so don't turn that dial. You are listening to Jacob Morrison and Adam Keller on the Valley Labor Report, and we will be right back.
Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and they secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855 617 9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or DSANorthAlabama at Gmail for more information. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We had a voicemail going into the voicemail bag this week, um, and we had a clip, uh, uh, a voicemail asking about organizing small shops. Do we have any advice for people that are organizing small shops? Adam, let's go ahead and play that. Howdy there, folks. Uh, I'm up here in Minnesota, or Wisconsin, rather. Uh, I had a question for you. Um, talking about organizing small shops, I've worked in UFCW shops in the past, SEIU shops in the past. I've been a shop steward. 
but now I work in a, a small business, which I would like to organize, but gosh darn if that isn't a challenge. Any advice you have for uh, organizing small businesses, you know, uh, 30, 30 minus employees, something like that. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Solidarity. Love what you do. All right. Take care. All right. Uh, so I appreciate your call. And that's uh, that's really fascinating, um, having been a shop steward with the UFCW uh, before. So that's you've already got a lot of experience there <laughs> that, that should help you um, should help you in organizing. Uh, but I would say, I mean, Adam, do you have any thoughts off the top of your head about um, about organizing a small shop? Uh, 30 or less employees uh, that would be different than organizing maybe a larger shop? Well, I think because there's so few people, the dynamics of personalities and relationships is going to be, you know, maybe even more important than in a larger workplace. Um, You know, 30 or less folks, that's that's not a lot. I think if we look back at like our reports from Jonah Furman uh, and the International you know, Labor Action Tracker with Cornell, if you look at just what's been happening in the labor movement, there's been a ton of success with small shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like actually that's where a lot of the energy has been. So I think that's promising. Uh, but yeah, my, my gut reaction is the people – I mean, those personalities. uh, And so your organizing committee think very long and hard about who can be on that organizing committee and who is the who are the best fits to that uh, and who's going to be kind of compatible with the broader workforce that you're trying to organize and reach. you know, and it's and we've talked about this before, and I, I would think maybe even Connor Lewis uh, talked about this with us in some of our like unions one on one videos. But you know, the the organizing committee is not necessarily always like the loudest, most right. outspoken worker. Um, you know, if if you're the one who's always speaking up in the staff meetings and always uh, you know kind of having some conflict with management. You may have this reputation as kind of a, a fierce fighter uh, among the staff, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the go-to person for the organizing committee uh, or, or that you necessarily even um, are going to excel in some of the logistics of it. Right. Um, you know, on the the flip side to it, I think because it's a smaller workshop, it's easier to – break it down and sort of map out who is who who does what um the who knows who who knows who and you know that's one of the important things is kind of power mapping and mapping out the workplace not just physically where people you know whether it's offices or uh stations you need to know that too that's important but also just mapping out yeah the dynamics of relationships um, and experience so I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there um, and typically I, this is just you know my my assumption here but my assumption would be with it being a smaller workforce like that uh, the management may not have quite the arsenal of of anti-union techniques and funding that 
you know, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos has at Amazon. Right. They can pull out all unless the stops and hire the best yeah. lawyers. Unless it's a small shop of a large, because all of these, so one of the things that I was going to say was that all of these Starbucks locations are are basically all small shops. All thirty people are right. Um, <clears throat> but they've they've of course seen this huge onslaught. So I don't know. I, um, I think. Maybe you said something about it being a smaller a small business, and so maybe you wouldn't have that. But the but then you're going to have this this potentially maybe you have this small business hero job creator mentality um, because you know people kind of worship at the altar of small businesses, and uh, you know I don't know maybe maybe small they may take it very personal. Right, right, right. Exactly. Adam was talking about how you know that that. Uh, the the personalities are going to be very important, and 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 it'll be maybe more personal than political, uh, um, than you would have in a larger shop. Because like at a place like Amazon, where you've got six thousand workers, uh, you as an individual person will not be able to talk to every single one of these six thousand. You're going to have to. There's going to have to be a whole lot more delegation and a lot of right. people like you're talking to this person who's talking to that person who knows this these five people and one of them knows this person. Whereas in a shop of thirty people. I would be surprised if you don't know every single person's first and last name and, and a if lot not, of their relatives. Start there. Right. Start there, I would right. say. If you're not already uh, clear about every person there, what their job is, you know, that's that's one of your first uh, tasks is going to be to do that prep work and research, right. figure out, um, you know, how long has everyone worked there, um, you know, before you even get into the dynamics of their union uh, affiliation like how how warm or cold they are with unions in general but yeah at least that is an opportunity though i mean there Mm -hmm. to be able to actually talk with every person in the in the shop um so yeah i can see where there's Mm -hmm. there's some distinctions if it's a small business versus um you know a small shop of a larger corporation but right yeah, I think that's it, yeah, it's th- those the are blessing be, and the curse is, is how personal right. that's going to be. Th- those are going to be those are going to be the first things that you want to do. You want to do a physical map, you want to do a social map, and you want to uh, start making the having one on one conversations uh, with your coworkers to try to get to know them better and to try to get to know their uh, about their experience at work. Uh, for one, because that's going to help you in the campaign. Uh, because you're not going to be able to win a union campaign on uh, wages, let's say, if everybody's really help- happy with their wages and the th- the only thing that they care about is getting more time off. Right. If the only thing, if everybody, and this is and and this is something that David has talked to me about. And this is you you're you're in a small shop. It's probably not applicable, but but just just so that just to illustrate the point that you need to know what people are upset about. The machinist union, David's union, uh, organizes lots of people who make six-figure salaries. They, you know, lots of of people that are they're they're uh, the machinists who who are are pretty, you know, um, highly skilled, yeah, highly, highly skilled, highly trained, and and they do highly valued work in in the sectors that they do, and and so wages for these people are like really not the important things, you know. Uh, it's it's having a say. It may on not the be job. the most pressing, right. You know that you're feeling every day when you, you and so show you want to know what your coworkers are 
Like, what is it that animates them? Um, and so you, you want to know that for the f- f- because it'll help the campaign, but also because you care. Because as as a person who wants a union, you like the the reason that you want a union is to make your life better and to make their life better. You know, you don't want a union just because like oh, a union is like it sounds nice when I say it. It's a right. pretty word. Like like the the you know the vibrations in my head feel good. And it's you not want, just to prove a point, right. like politically, like okay, you know, I'm supposed right, to like unions, right. so I guess we should do one here. Right. Um, and and if that's probably not going to work because <laughs> we've seen how many we've seen how it, it wouldn't work if you were just animated by I'm supposed to like unions, so let's do one here. Yeah. Because we've seen how many progressive uh, nonprofits or whatever have. There, there has been a unionization effort, and management has tried to kill it, and in sometimes has effectively killed it, has has killed right. the union campaign, um, because there were some people that that, that probably kind of had a had a th- like you know, that's not that's not going to win your union. You're, uh, you're going to win your union by uh, bringing people together, and so you know, have those maps, have those conversations, and try to bring somebody in, bring another. With a thirty-person workplace, you could even start with a committee of three, and that would be that would be really good. And go with that committee of three to uh, find a local union that is willing to support your campaign, that is willing to put resources into your campaign, and um and 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 be a part of and 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 be a part of them. And you can find a local union, you know, reaching out to your local labor council, to the state federation of the AFL-CIO, or your local IWW chapter. Uh, these are all places that you can go to find a union that will support your campaign yeah absolutely and and one thing just to kind of take the flip side to that about like you know the political beliefs of the workers involved um do not just write people off yes because you've seen their facebook and the crazy crap they post on facebook uh you know are are you've heard things that uh kind of make you cringe a little bit don't write them off right you know, of course, be aware of where these people are coming from, what what their ideas and beliefs are, so that you can try to meet them where they're at. But uh, again, you can't just be a total like ideologue and you know, you know, hey, Nancy down the hall, she's a total right winger. She loves Trump. She hates she hates unions. She hates Democrats. Like, there's no sense in talking to her. Right. You can't have that approach. No, uh, because you'd be surprised that maybe. She's one of your go-to people. Mm-hmm. She may have a lot of problematic right. ideas about other types of people outside of the workplace, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she cannot be mm-hmm. a, a yes vote or perhaps even a volunteer. Even, right, um, we, and we have spoken to right. a uh, even a volunteer or a leader in the union and an effective leader in your union. Uh, can be a person who considers themselves conservative right. politically. It is not that's not as uncommon as one might think. And um, you can go back in in our uh, back catalog. It's been probably a year and a half ago. One of the first interviews that we did was with a conservative nurse in Pennsylvania who was talking about his. Uh, uh, his involvement in his union campaign and how he became a leader in his union. And we were talking with him and a, a more liberal nurse about how, despite some of their political differences that they came together and that this union campaign has brought them closer together, has brought uh, get, given them more respect 
for one another as people, as individuals, even though they have different opinions, and has emboldened them and empowered them to make changes in their workplace that are that make their lives better, that, that, that make their lives and the lives of their coworkers and their sisters and brothers on the job better. And that's so. exactly where I was going to go with this, that you'd be surprised that that experience of someone taking the time to have the one-on-one conversation um, right. and the experience of the actual organizing drive – uh, or even even if you already have a union and you're you're working on a certain issue, the experience of that collective action and the relationship building can sometimes move those people in a direction you want to move them. Um, because yes, uh, just on a basic like humanity level, you can you can make some some gains there uh, and respect and. Um, concern for for other people so don't write anybody off immediately um yeah get to know people get to know your core that you can rely on uh that you know are going to be with you and have some take a training take take an organizer training labor notes that's my Um, last suggestion yeah yeah. go to labornotes.org and and figure out when their next organizer training is going to be or uh your local iww may put on an organizer training the iww's organizer training is really good um i'm a i'm an iww organizer trainer and um that you know so there, there are uh, organizer trainings that the IWW does that is open to anybody. Um, Labor Notes does really good organizer trainings. Um, Jane McAlevey has been given some good trainings. And, uh, so, so try to find one of those. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, go back, even if it's a recording of a Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I s- highly, highly recommend um, the training materials that are available in Labor Notes. Secrets uh, of a Successful Secrets Organizer. Secrets of a Successful Organizer, Beating Apathy, mm-hmm. um, even the strike guide that they put out uh, recently or last couple of years has a ton of resources, practical resources. Yeah. Um, so do a little bit of homework and start to know people. Those are your ground level before you get into the, the weeds of, of building a union. Right. But um, definitely wishing this caller all the best. Keep us updated. Keep us updated. Uh, yeah. You know, keep us informed if there's ways that you think we can help you yep. let us know yeah and call 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 us back and let us know how it's going appreciate the call uh so for our last segment of the day we are going to do last week in southern labor um last week in southern labor is a segment that we do every week courtesy of jonah Furman. He does a newsletter called Who Gets the Bird that you can read at who gets the that goes over what happened in all of labor in the United States every week. Um, he goes over what happened the last week in U.S. labor. And so we pull from that, with his permission, what happened in the south of the, of the United States in the labor movement. And last week in new organizing, we saw 1,100 workers who mostly make Reese's at Hershey's second largest plant in the United States in Stewart's Draft, Virginia. They're organizing with the BCTGM. BCTGM, I mean, in the last two or three years, has really been yes. really been on a roll. Bakery. Been busy. Yeah, been busy. Bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and Grain Millers International Union. They are organizing with the BCTGM. It is only the 25th or so 1,000 worker plus filing at the NLRB in the past five years. And of those, no 
non-healthcare or education workers have won. There has not been a single non-healthcare or education worker win that has been over a 1,000 workers. So this would be an important victory. Local reporting has some of the details of the union drive as of November. 176 Starbucks workers across eight states just last week. Just last week, 170 and more have come out since this newsletter. 176 Starbucks workers just since last week across eight stores, um, one in Memphis and two in Richmond in the South, have officially filed for elections with Workers United. And some of these are new announcements this week uh, that, that are, are stores that waited to file the official paperwork before after announcing. Uh, and six building cleaners at an office park that houses intelligence agencies in uh, in McLean, Virginia, are joining operating engineers local 99. That's interesting. Uh, there's uh, I'm curious what they may find cleaning the building of the intelligence agency. <laughs> yeah, they might want to uh, treat that union with respect. Right. Uh, right. Take care of those workers because there's no telling uh, what secrets <laughs> they may hear and see. In strikes and bargaining, the Warrior Met strike by 1,100 UMWA miners against metallurgical coal firm Warrior Met in Brookwood, Alabama, continues. And Sarah Jones at New York Magazine has more. Good to see uh, Mm -hmm. mainstream press covering the issue. Yep. Some new big strike threats have surfaced this week. First, on the railroads, the 17,000 BNSF workers with BLET which is a Teamsters Union, and Smart TD. These are all acronyms of unions, (laughs) and I don't know what they stand for, (laughs) who said they'd be moving towards a strike authorization vote, have in fact formally authorized a strike. Wow. Though BNSF is suing to put the brakes on it. Um, BNSF is like the employer. They're suing to put the brakes on the strike, and the decision will apparently be made by a Trump appointee judge on Monday. Perhaps the bigger news is that eleven, the eleven union rail bargaining coordinated bargaining coalition. So there's an eleven union bargaining coalition of railroad workers called the coordinating, the called the coordinated bargaining coalition. They are also moving in the direction of striking, covering one hundred and five thousand. Rail workers across major freight companies. I'd strongly recommend you to follow Labor Notes uh, staff writer Joe Demanuel Hall's work on this, as he has been talking to rail workers and can explain the mysteries of the special labor law, the Railway Labor Act, which covers these workers. We're not as close to a strike as a normal strike authorization would mean because of the wonky way in which the Railway Labor Act works, but at the same time, railroad workers do seem to be at a breaking point. Uh, and Jacob, I actually have an update on that. Um, as Jonah mentioned, there was going to be a ruling uh, in terms of the BNSF employees, uh, and a federal judge ruled today, Tuesday, January 25th, that the union workers uh, must go to arbitration over the new attendance policy, effectively blocking them from striking. So there again, we see where <laughs> judges – can be, you know, on the side of management, uh, and that's why it's always best if you can win your fights without having to go through the courts. Um, And, you know, 
one of the things I, I see has been cited by the judge. This is a U.S. District Judge Mark T. Pittman of the Northern Te- Texas District. Uh, by ruling in favor of the company, he also discussed how it would deprive shippers of transportation, hurt revenue, supposedly threaten the safety of the general public. That's the point! Yeah. So, um, he acknowledged the tremendous power these workers have, uh, and that was enough to, you know, basically shoo them away, hope they will go to arbitration and all die down. So, uh, very, you know, disappointing, but not necessarily surprising that the judge came, came down that way. Um, I'm looking here, and it looks like uh, the union and the company will be heading to mediation. Um, and the new attendance policy was supposed to go into effect February 1st. You know, so we'll see how that pans out. Um, but yeah, very disappointing. Hate to see that, uh, and just really hope that the union is able to buy. I don't want to say bypass arbitration. They need to go through the process. But uh, I hope that there is enough power and support uh, inside the workforce and their allies to really put pressure on the company. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the Railway Labor Act, AFA-CWA flight attendants at Piedmont Airlines, which is a which is a mid-Atlantic regional carrier owned by American Airlines, they have a tentative agreement after authorizing a strike in October. Educators at Anacostia High School in Washington, D.C. held a job action on Friday, shutting down classes for the day over both violence and COVID-19 safety issues. Uh, Negotiations sound rocky with educators in Escambia County, Florida, and workers who make Corvette for GM in Bowling Green, Kentucky, are also on the strike path but nothing immediate as they are under the national GM agreement in addition to their local negotiations. Um, In Virginia, a couple groups of public sector workers rallied for the fight to collectively bargain, a decision that is now up to local jurisdictions per the newish state law, Uh, which, by the way, local educators in Alabama... It is up to municipalities if they want to collectively bargain with you. There is no bar on collective bargaining in state law. Right. There is no legal mechanism that says you teachers in you know Madison City schools cannot are have hustles. a collective bargaining agreement. Right. You, you know, there's nothing barring a school board and a superintendent uh, from agreeing to a collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. With Just putting workers. that out there. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, so just do with that information what you will. In Virginia Beach, Virginia, city workers with UE Local 111 pushed for a local ordinance, and United Campus Workers is making noise at Virginia Commonwealth University and the University of Virginia. After bargaining for a first contract at Dish Network since 2010. Wow. 12 years bargaining for a first contract members of cwa local 6171 in crumb texas have a two-year agreement (laughs) that is ridiculous uh you know and that's wild that's that's why we talk a lot about our broken labor law system and Mm -hmm. and why we need the pro act and why we need these other improvements that's obscene 12 years that's why 12 years as i mentioned earlier i mean there are probably members of that local who had children around that time who Mm -hmm. are now in middle school yeah 
Wild. Wild. <laughs> but shout out to, to 6171 CWA yeah. for getting that Congrats. contract. Uh MLB Players Association bargaining with the MLB resumed after a leisurely six weeks of no talking during an ongoing lockout. The lockout will, of course, be much more visible if it continues beyond the offseason and the delays the March thir- and delays the March 31st season kickoff, which is increasingly likely. Yeah, I, I based on what I followed with this, it looks like the owners uh, wanted this to drag out right. they wanted it to impact spring training um you know I, I don't know how much of that is just pressure on the players like physically um mm-hmm. and how much of it is to try to garner public support because oh no my games on aren't on right those players get paid money so i'm mad i don't know uh but hey solidarity with the major league baseball players they are selling their labor in exchange for wage um some of them quite nice wages uh but some of them not so much and they are uh you know putting their bodies out there so right um yeah support the players the three unions that represent social security administration employees afge nteu and the association of administrative law judges have all reached a return to in-person work agreement with their employer, the Social Security Administration. Uh, This comes after the Social Security Administration issuing a return-to-work order for January the 5th that was uh, deemed unlawful because it was not bargained over. And so now they have a bargained-over return-to-in-person work agreement with their workers, and that's what being in a union workplace with a contract can get you. Your employer cannot unilaterally impose – we talked about this just last week, um, or maybe it was the week before, uh, about how return-to-work is a mandatory subject of bargaining if you have a union contract. Your employer cannot arbitrarily change these things. That is what the Social Security Administration did despite having a contract in place, and so uh, they were overruled. They acknowledged that, and uh, they went to the bargaining table, and so, and the uh, workers were able to secure an agreement there. Um, so that's good news. In politics, the Biden administration has enacted the $15 an hour minimum wage for all federal civilian employees, which affects 67,000 workers in a move that um, seemed kind of quiet. <laughs> I didn't hear about it until I read the newsletter um, for an administration that looks that is looking for bread and butter wins. Yeah. But 67,000 workers getting a raise. That's like that's not bad. Yeah, I. I had not seen this anywhere else uh, i mean the announcement of the like i think he signed the executive order doing this some time ago but i it was now it has now been enacted and you would think that they would be like uh hey you know you ought to celebrate the the uh signing of it and the enactment of it right right? right. you ought to talk about that (laughs) in an administration with so few victories you should uh (laughs) yeah um you should be uh, pushing the few victories that you have out. You know, and of course, $15 is, is not what $15 was right. uh, 10 years ago as the Fight for 15 movement really started gaining steam. So uh, I guess congratulations for almost keeping up yeah. with the inflation of the past year. Yeah. 
The Biden administration is also expanding the H-2B visa program for 20,000 more non-agricultural workers, a move that, quote-unquote, the unions, per this Bloomberg Law article, which cites Unite here and and AFL-CIO leaders, are pushing back on, um, which... I wouldn't be surprised because there is opposition to uh, some to some of the way that uh, immigrant workers are brought in, mainly that they are tied to their employment. You know, a lot of these immigrant workers on these H-2B visas are they're tied to their meaning they're they're brought in here. And if they lose their job, they're sent back. So, wow. I wonder what kind of incentive that creates for a worker who is in an abusive environment right. or an unsafe environment. I wonder what kind of incentives that has on their ability to report uh, to the authorities illegal activities that's going on or to organize for a better workplace themselves. Man, hmm, I wonder what kind of incentive that puts on the worker. Yeah, that's pretty we'll disturbing power dynamic there. Yeah. And finally, the new Bureau of Labor Statistics unionization numbers came out this week, and they were predictably depressing, with 241,000 fewer union members now than there were a year ago, and 2 million fewer than there were 20 years ago, despite there being 14 million more workers added to the workforce in those two decades. 10.3% of U.S. workers are union, and 6.1% of workers in the private sector are union. There are tons of ways to slice and dice the data, but the punchline is the union movement, measured in the fundamental metric of organization, or membership, is continuing its downward trajectory uh it also remains true that there are 14 million unionized workers in the country which is a massive organizational and social base from which to build and and something uh i I recall a comment recently on youtube um during one of our live episodes that uh kind of just responding to all the good news in terms of organizing wins and responding to uh this wave of strikes uh, and it was more or less, well, why are there still so few people joining unions? Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of that is one year is not going to undo right. decades upon decades. Um, you know, certainly. I, I would be interested in seeing what happens, what the numbers look like in, in two or three years, because a year is how long it can take a campaign to. To, you know, you do oftentimes a year of organizing before you even file a petition, you know, so. So, you know, I guess to to tease out that question, that's the that's the first answer is just historical trends. Uh, you know, it's hard to undo that. Uh, certainly in a just a year's time. The other piece of it, of course, is the the labor law system itself and how unfriendly that is to new organizing. Um you can also look at some of the weaknesses inside currently existing unions. Uh, and sometimes those can uh, be their own worst enemy and not really help themselves in terms of recruiting and, and new adding new organizing. But, um, you know, I think the last statement there, there's still 14 million of us, and that's huge. And it, while it may be small in context, it's still a huge number of people who are engaged in the collective process of fighting for each other and for a better society. Yeah, exactly. As we are 
Wrapping up today, if you missed our interview with Kenzo Shibata, he is a member and activist in the Chicago Teachers Union. You can find it on YouTube or your favorite podcasting app. He also has an op-ed published by Truthout that you should check out. We're linking to that in the show notes. Starbucks Workers United has a merch shop, and all of the proceeds go towards their campaigns. You can leave us a voice. Uh, we're we're going to put that in the uh, show notes as well. You can leave us a voicemail, and we might answer it on the next show. That is 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857, and give us your money. Our largest largest source of revenue, seriously, is our listeners. There is not a single... We get more money from our listeners than any of the other unions or nonprofits or federations... Our largest single source of revenue is our listeners, so your support really does matter and it really does help. You can give us money at unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. You've been listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller, and we will see you next week. 